Thank you for listening to the weekly messages of New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. To subscribe to our podcast, hear other messages, or learn more about us, please visit nppbc.com. We're glad you're here again. Excited about the study tonight, so let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Dustin, would you lead us in prayer tonight? Dear Lord, we thank you Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house again tonight. Lord, just thank you, Lord, for just for watching over us, Lord, again, and letting us have the ability to send one night. Dear Lord, Lord, pray that you just come in the midst with us tonight, Lord, just to open our ears, open our eyes, dear Lord, open our hearts, Lord, the Word of God, dear Lord, Lord, just to help us to see what you have us to see tonight, dear Lord. Just be with these children, Lord, as they go to classes, dear Lord, just watch over them, dear Lord, just use them, use the teachers, dear Lord, just to guide these children, Lord, in the right way. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us, Lord, for watching over us, protecting us, and just for taking care of us, Lord, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with us tonight to the chapter number four of Revelations. That class deserves a bonus. Huh? That class deserves a bonus. <laughs> Amen. It's like when they ask you, would you teach the adult? Yes. <laughs> Just don't put me in the zero to three class. <laughs> I'll do anything. Don't throw me in the briar patch. John the Beloved was given a task. The outline to Revelations began in verse 19 of chapter number 1. And he, had, he told John to write what was, what is, what is to come. He meant for him to record the past, the present, and the future. And all of those things the Lord Jesus Christ would give him and John would record it for us. We find in chapter number one was the past. It was the risen, ascended Savior. And what he recorded there was the glorified Christ. Past because Jesus had already already died, rose again, and ascended back to the Father. And uh, this is recorded uh, around the year A.D. 95 when John was on the Isle of Patmos and received this revelation of Jesus Christ. And so from this we know that what we've, what we've accomplished so far, which uh, granted is not very much chapter-wise, we have gone through the past, chapter number one, and we have gone through the present, which is chapters number two and three. The present being what the Spirit of God gave to John to write concerning the churches. Church is present, uh, and church is us. And so we uh, spent quite a bit of time last night and the night before focusing on what the Spirit had to say to all seven of those churches, realizing that each one of them could represent us individually at any given time. And then we find ourselves now at the end of chapter And as we go into chapter 4, it is clear that something has changed. Something is different. uh, John the Revelator, John the Beloved, was writing this revelation concerning what was. He had received this message for all seven of the churches. The Lord told him there would be seven. He gave him seven. And then at the end of chapter number three, we have that universal invitation of Christ knocking on the door and asking to be let in. And what we find as we begin chapter four is that John receives a completely new revelation. 
It changes. He goes from what is to what will be. The Bible says in 4, chapter number 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Now, let me stop right there and just ask us, just so that we're clear. Did Jesus say that he was the door? Yes, he did. Don't miss those little inferences in here. They're there on purpose, right? These references that we see reminds us that when we look into heaven, we are seeing things that matter, right? It's not just a door. That is the door. Behold, he said, as I looked, there was a door opened in heaven in the first verse, which I heard, first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said... Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Any question in your mind whether or not we're fixing to look into the future? Based on what we just read, after this, after this, right? One thing is finished, and something else is beginning. After this, after what? After the churches, after the church age. After all the information necessary to, for us to understand what is present, after this, the indication clearly is, is that we are now stepping into from what is to what is to come. Remember verse chapter 1, verse 19. We are stepping into the future. After this, John said, I beheld, and I saw a door open, and a voice said, I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Now, if everybody's got your Bibles open, I'm going to pick it on somebody uh, nimble of finger. All right, Dustin, you're it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 17. Look that one up for us. Does anybody know what, what that refers to? Does anybody know what 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 17? You're excluded, Danny. I know you're... Just waiting to say it. What is that? What is that? What is the Apostle Paul telling us about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17? The rapture. The rapture of the church. He's given information specifically about the rapture of the church. And read verse 17, doesn't it? Then we which were alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall be, shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the rapture. All right, now, what John saw and John heard, think about this. Read verse 16. Oh, he turned his page. I should have told him verse 16 too. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then verse 17 said, And we that remain shall be caught up. Let me read verse 1 again and see if you're putting this together. After this, I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard were as it of a, were of a trumpet. Right? What happens when the rapture of the church occurs? There is a shout, a voice, and there is a trumpet. Amen. Amen. And there is a come up hither, right? There is a catching away of the church. That is the rapture of the church. 
Um, I just wanted to bring that out to you because I think that's just another reference that indicates to us where we are, right? What, what is taking place, I believe, as John immediately receives a different vision. He's no longer speaking of what is, but now he is able to see and he is able to hear. So if you would, in technicolor, John is beholding, hearing, seeing, right? It's like on a television screen. And suddenly this door is opened and a voice is speaking, come up hither and a trumpet. I got a feeling that what John was was just getting in on was Amen. right now. You'd have had to been quick. First Corinthians fifteen said it'll happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Do you realize that the twinkling of an eye is less than one second? Yes, it is a split second. Amen. They don't measure it in the blink of the eye. It's the downward of the eye. That's right. Right. I'm, Jennifer's blinking at me. Right. It's. It's one movement of the eyelid, not both movements, right? That quick, right? And the rapture's done. So what, what John would have beheld would have been... Yeah. Yeah. But he heard a trumpet and he heard a voice and the voice said, Come up hither. And the next thing is immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. He beholds God. Now notice that that when it comes to Jehovah, there's no picture given to us. There's no illustration of what he looked like, what color is. No, all we have is beautiful colors, right? Uh, Or just as he told Moses, no man look upon God and live. John was no different than any other man. He saw the beauty of the glorified God, the Almighty. And he saw him there. And verse number four, and around about the throne of God were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. All right. Immediately, John is in the spirit and he sees what what apparently was the rapture of the church. And and then suddenly as he beholds the glory of God, he looks around and around the throne are 24 seats. And he says 24 elders sitting on those thrones clothed in white raiment and they had crowns on their head. So the question is, who are those people? Now, I want to say this. If you, from chapter number 4 all the way to chapter number 22, you will never hear the word church again. It is never mentioned. In the present, he deals with the church, right? Because that is right now in 2022, the present. It is the church age. At the moment that the church is raptured, when you look into the future and as what John is seeing, he does not ever make reference to the church again. But he does make reference many times about these elders. Twenty and four elders. Who are they? Well, here's what we know about them. The world, the word elder is from the Greek word presbyteros. It's where the Presbyterian church actually gets their name. 
presbyteros, the, the meaning of that Greek word is ambassador or representative. So what we know about these elders by definition is that they are ambassadors or representatives. Let's see what Ephesians 6.20 says. The Apostle Paul said, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Here's the question. Is the elders that are represented around the throne of God, is that the raptured church? That's the question. Who is John looking at? Well, let's see if what's given to us in the scripture can clearly define for certain, right? I want you to be certain about who the elders are because your interpretation of who the elders are will affect how you understand the rest of this book. If we don't know who the elders are, we will not be able to properly understand future events. We do believe as the church of Jesus Christ that we will be raptured, right? But the question remains, when will we be raptured? We believe chronologically, and it's easily seen in chapters 4 through 22, we will see this clearly, that the rapture of the church, I believe, takes place between chapters 3 and 4. As a matter of fact, when verse 1 is given to us in chapter 4, John is just catching the glimpse. And as he looks, he beholds, and what he sees next is God on his throne, and and around him are four and twenty elders. Well, the elders, by definition, are ambassadors. That's what the word means. They are representatives, and clearly the New Testament speaks of the church of Jesus Christ, the true church, as being ambassadors for Christ. So there's one, right? We're, We're just trying to figure out if we can get enough proof of who these elders are. I think this is important. It says that they were sitting, indicating that they were ruling. What does the Bible say about the people of God, the church? It says, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Good indication. They're sitting around the throne. They are ruling. Number three, they were clothed in white raiment. Revelations 3 and 4 said, Thou hast a few names, as he spoke to the church in Sardis. And he said this, Which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Now, that within itself indicates as we're speaking to the church in in Sardis, as we're hearing this, what we hear is, is they shall be clothed in white. The rapture has occurred. And the next thing we see is the four and 20 representatives, ambassadors around the throne of God. They are dressed in white. They are the ambassadors. And they are sitting, waiting, ruling. Number four. They were wearing crowns. And they fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him and cast their crowns before the throne. 
Will the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, when we get to heaven, will we get crowns? Is that what the Bible says? Yes, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endured temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And when the shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Number 6. They knew who the Lamb was. Let me read on. Verse number 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We've seen God. We've seen now the Spirit of God in verse number 5. Verse number 6. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were the four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had the face of a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts or living creatures had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Verse number 10. The four and twenty elders then fall down before him that that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Listen to what they said in verse number 11. Now this identifies who they are. Their testimony identifies who they are. Here's what they said. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. These people knew him. These people knew him. Let's keep going. Chapter number 5, verse 1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. We'll get to the seven seals in, the, in a minute, but we're still working on the four and twenty elders. Who are they and how they get there? And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth... Neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said, all right, one of the elders said, listen now, one of the elders said, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Do you know what that means? That means whoever the 24 elders are, they know Him. Yeah. Amen. As John wept because nobody could open the book, the elders, I believe it's the church of Jesus Christ, raptured now beside God. They're saying, don't cry. Don't cry. He's here. He's here. And they know Him. They said, don't weep. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God, He's here. I want you to know I know him. The Bible said that his sheep know his voice and a stranger they will not follow. I want you to know that the people of God that will be raptured and in the presence of God, when John stands there bereaved because no one could open the seals of that scroll, the church will say, but he's here, John. Don't cry. Amen. 
He's here. We know him. The people of God know him. Who are the elders? If it ain't the church, I don't know who it is. You say, how can you be so sure? Well, let's keep reading. The Bible said, And I beheld below in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain. Where do you reckon the people of God are going to be when they get to heaven? The Bible said that the lamb was right in the middle of them. What do you think the church of Jesus Christ is going to be wanting to do when they get raptured from this earth? And are they going to be surrounding the Lamb of God? John said, I looked and I beheld and I saw the four beasts and I saw the elders. And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken Listen now, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And listen what they did. And they sung a new song, and their song said, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. Now here they're going to tell who they are. They said, For thou wast slain and hast redeemed... Anybody with me? And has redeemed us to God. Who are you? They said you've redeemed us to God by the blood. Here's who we are. We are out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. (laughs) Who is it, people? Who else could it be? It just described me right down to the tenth different thing I'm giving you. Amen dressed in white and crowns on their head. Right? All this is New Testament scripture that tells us just what's going to happen to us when we get to heaven. Now, if you want to know chronologically, right, because this is where people get confused. Well, did the rapture occur before the tribulation or before the thousand year reign? Did it occur after the thousand year reign? Or did it, or is the thousand year reign going on right now? Right? And we just don't know it. <laughs> Right? You got premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and there's people that actually believe that the that the thousand year reign of Christ actually is after, right? That that the church is the rapture of the church is going to be after the thousand year reign of Christ. And yet what the scripture says is the first thing John saw Amen. was Amen. not tribulation. The first thing John saw, having left what is, and immediately he is looking at the future. The first thing he saw was God the Father, then the Holy Spirit. And in the hand of the Father was that scroll that had seven seals, which no man could open. And he saw around the throne those four and twenty elders and those four living creatures. And as he began to even inquire, who can open the scrolls? The four and twenty elders say, why, Jesus will open his scrolls. Here, Jesus is able to open the scrolls. And when they when he took from the Lord the, the God's hand the book, when Jesus took the scroll Amen. from the hand of the Almighty. 
The four and twenty elders fall down. The, the four beasts fall down. And the, and the church throws their crowns at His feet. Why? Because Jesus has the title deed of earth. Jesus has what is and what is to come in His hand. And they throw his, their crowns down at His feet. Isn't that what Peter said we would do with our crowns? Amen. Amen. We're seeing the church of Jesus Christ. And where is the church in reference to the thousand year reign? The thousand year reign don't come for multiple chapters. Amen. Indicating clearly the rapture of the church takes place well before the thousand year reign of Christ. You say, how long before? Exactly seven years. Amen. Amen. How do you know? Because he said it. Amen. You say, how did he know? How, how do you know he meant seven years when he said years? Did he mean years? Yes, because he would even say forty-two months or twelve hundred and sixty days. If you're confused, I'll give you the days. I don't want you confused. No, the Lord said, I don't want you confused. When I say seven years, I mean seven years. And in those days, years or the days of the years would be 360 days a year or 12 months in a year. He said half of this, Daniel prophesied, and half of it would be 42 months. That's right. And in the book of Revelations, he even goes farther and said, let me just be clear, 1,260 days. 42 months. Half the tribulation is 42 months. So what other stance can we take concerning when the rapture of the church occurs? Could it, based on Scripture, and I know we haven't gone through it all, but I want you to be watching for it as we go. But even with chapters 4 and 5 that we have just read, we see the church now beside the Father. That's it. Amen. Right? I, I gave you 10 different things identifying who the elders are. If the elders represented in John's revelation from Jesus Christ is not the church of Jesus Christ, then who are they? I gave you 10 different, probably 20 different substantiating verses declaring who they are described to be just by what John saw and heard. Who else could they be? I mean, I I I really asked the question, who else could they be? They are described as a raptured church. Based off the scripture. They're clothed in white. They've got crowns on their head. They're sitting. Just the very thing that the Lord Jesus told them. Right? You're going to rule and reign with me. That's right. There they are. Sitting around the throne. And they even sung their song and said, Thou hast redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. Out of every kindred and out of every people and out of every nation. What's the church? It's the church. 
it's not the church, who is it? And if it's somebody else, tell me where the church is at. Because you won't find church in the book of Revelations from chapter 4-1 through chapter 22 in the end. They're not in there. The church is not listed. Is it the church or is it not? Do we have evidence in the Bible that clearly states that the four and twenty elders represent the raptured church of Jesus Christ? Does it line up? If you look at it now, does everything that we read, does it line up with what the New Testament says would happen? Right? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Concerning the rapture of the church that has been given to us by not just the revelator, the apostle Paul, clearly having been to the third heavens and received a word from God, specifically about the end times. And what he says would happen here, we find, lines up with what John is seeing. Is there any other interpretation? That we, could, that we could have so much substantiating evidence for and base our belief upon. Nobody even has a suggestion? Any thought? Who else could be able to sing I'm redeemed Amen. Amen. by the blood of the Lamb? Out of every kindred and people and tongue and nation. Who is it, people? Who are they? Let me ask you this way. Does it leave any doubt? Does anybody have any doubt at this point? If somebody that can fall down and cast their crowns to which he said we would get... Dressed in white, sitting and ruling as priests and kings of, with God, heirs and joint heirs with Christ. There they are. And they start singing a song I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we've come out of every kindred and every people and every tongue and every nation. That's who we are. <coughs> Who is it? It's the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Raptured and present with God. Now, just so that we can follow along, let's be clear. When Jesus steps forward and he takes the scroll from the hand of the Almighty, what, we will, what we're fixing to learn and what we're fixing to see is what was in the scroll. When he began to loose those seals, do you know what began? It'll tell us, right? We just ain't got there yet, but it'll tell us. What began? The tribulation. Right? That's what we're going to read, right? It's going to clearly say in verse number six, as they open the first scroll, I mean the first seal, the first seal, the second seal, the third seal, and suddenly the tribulation is rolling. When does the tribulation begin? It begins after the rapture of the church. Amen. How do you know? Because I read chapter four, verse number one. 
And the first thing I saw was the church with God in heaven, which Amen. is just what Paul said would happen when they get raptured. I saw them identify themselves as the church, being the redeemed of God by the blood of the Lamb out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and people. I've seen it. And then I saw chronologically what happened next was then Jesus takes the scroll. Then Jesus opens the seal number one and the tribulation begins. Amen. Amen. And you go through all of the seals and the trumpets and the vows and the woes and the bowls and you get to the end and then comes the thousand year reign of Christ when Christ comes to the earth and destroys all the wicked and sets up his earth for 1,000 years while Satan is bound. Right? We ain't got there yet, but I'm just telling you, we're seeing it right now. It begins right now. You've got to understand where we are right now so that as we see these things start to take place, we recognize that the rapture of the church took place in chapter 4, verse 1. That's right. Amen. Which, which if that's the church... The elders are the church, which you know every indication would indicate clearly that, that it is. Then they're clearly in heaven before the tribulation begins. That's right. They saw him take the scroll and open the first seal of the tribulation. And if that's the case, at the end of the tribulation, that's when the Lord's second coming occurs. The Lord comes back, destroys all the enemy, false beast, prophet, false prophet, cast into the lake of fire. Satan's bound a thousand years, and Jesus sets up his thousand-year reign on this earth. And for a thousand years, he rules as the king. That's what we're going to read in the book of Revelation. That's what you're going to find. That's how it's going to unfold. You say, why'd you do all this? Because... If you don't understand what it is that we're looking at in chapter 4, verse 1, then you're going to be terribly confused by the time we get to chapter 22. Amen. If you don't know where the church is in this process, let me be clear. That is your hope. That is your future. That is your eternity. Every promise that he has made about it was to you concerning that. Well, preacher, I just still believe that the church is going to have to go through the tribulation. First off, why do you believe that? Is there scripture to base that upon? And secondly, is that the nature of God? To put his church, his bride, through tribulation? What did he do with Noah? Now don't be quiet on me now. What did he do with Noah? He did what? He saved him from destruction. Why did he save him from destruction? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you are saved by grace. This gets elementary for me. Right? I really do not understand the issue. It gets too simple. Why didn't he destroy Lot? Peter said he was a righteous son. Why didn't he just destroy him? 
character of God. That's right. It ain't the character of God to force the righteous through his judgment. As a matter of fact, the church of Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament, we're judged by Christ. We ain't even in the great white throne judgment. That's right. Amen. That's another day, another discussion, but that's what the Bible says. There's two different judgments. I ain't going through that one in the end. That's right. Amen. Say, so how do you know? Because I, I read verse 1. Amen. Come on, brother. And in verse 1 and verse 4, they got crowns on their head. You know what the crown is? It's a reward. You know how you get a reward? You get judged. First right. right. Corinthians chapter number 3. Read it. That's right. Right? You don't get a crown. Just by getting in, here's your crown, here's your crown. Party uniform, another crown, get this one. No, how do you get a crown? First Corinthians chapter 3. You got to win it. That's right. Amen. Amen. You got to run the race. <laughs> These people got crowns. You know what that means? They've been judged. Amen. When John saw the church, the elders... The redeemed by the blood of the Lamb out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. When he saw them, they had crowns. You know what that means? They done been judged. The Apostle Peter, Apostle Paul, both of them referred to it clearly as the judgment seat of Christ. Which is different than the great white throne judgment you'll find in Revelation chapter 20. Yes, sir. Two different things. As a matter of fact, great white throne judgment, the Bible said that the dead were judged. According to the Word of God, those that are born again are not dead. They are. And will they ever perish? No. Then how could they ever be considered the dead that stand in the end of the great white throne judgment? No, the Bible said in the end, the dead, both small and great, will be judged. That's right. Amen. Two different judgments. Makes sense, too, because they referred to one as the judgment seat of Christ. They referred to the other as the Great white throne judgment. The Bible's not hiding anything. It's clear. So I believe clearly. And, and that's what I'm going to continue to preach. And, and I'm not doing it because I have a pink. Look, I don't care. Right? Let me be absolutely honest. I don't care. You say, why don't you care? Because I'm his and... I'm telling you right now, I'm going to heaven based on the promises of an eternal God and a Savior who died for me. Amen. And if He said it, He'll do it. And brother, if I'm wrong about it, it don't make no difference. I'm still going to be with Jesus. Amen. Amen. I ain't got no agenda. I don't care. Thank you. Amen. I don't care. You say, is that important? Yes. So, well, you could have to go through the tribulation. Listen, bless your heart. If that's His will that I go through the tribulation, you think I can change that? No. I, you know, I could be just as wrong as the snow cone and the blow dryer. <laughs> but it don't matter. He made me promises and I'm going to heaven. Amen. Amen. Whether I go through it now or I watch it later or it don't make no difference. I'm going to heaven because Jesus promised me that. Amen. Amen. Now, 
I said all that to remind. I don't have an agenda. I'm trying to get it. What does it say? Try it. Come on. Amen. What does it say? And if we can't take what it said and determine what it means, I've missed the whole point of studying Scripture. Can you take what we've read in chapters 5, 4, and 5 and somehow deduce that this is not the cha- this is not the raptured church that is represented at the throne of God who even in chapter number 5, verse number 9 told us who they were. <laughs> they, they even told us who they were. That ain't the last time we'll see see them. We'll see them again. In in Revelations, right? The elders are always there. The Apostle Paul said in Roman or First Thessalonians chapter four, and he said, And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Makes sense that every time you see the Lord and them elders, they are all around them still. Well, that's what he said. That's what he said. I'm just trying to, what does the Bible say? What does it say? Have we misinterpreted what it says? Does anybody read that different? If that is the church, if the elders, now, it's their testimony. They told us who they are. Right? And I'm just telling you, that sounds like me. Amen. Anybody in here saved and refused to say, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Huh? No. We all claim it. And I'm a poor Gentile from the middle of nowhere. Every people and tongue and nation. And, right? I, it leaves no doubt in my mind who they are. The four and twenty elders are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What Paul said we would be, what Peter said we would be. Ambassadors for Christ. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. There they are. That's who he saw. Sitting with crowns, sitting, they're rulers, sitting with crowns. And when John began to weep, they said, Don't cry. The elder said, Don't cry, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb as it had been slain, he's right here in the middle of us. He is able to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Uh, if you look back in the first chapter of Revelation, in the sixth verse, it says that he has made us kings and priests unto God. Now, if you was to go back, and I'm not going to, oh, that's going to be a kind of time. Yeah. The first chronicles, the 24th chapter. Starting the seventh verse, you see where David starts dividing the priesthood into a group of 24. So your 24 seats with the 24 elders, he said he has made us priests. And that was in chapter 1? Chapter 1, verse 6. In chapter 5, verse 10, let me finish their testimony. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Amen. Amen. 
again. That was a great segue. I just haven't got there again. And he has made us kings and priests to God. And what did he say? And it said, we shall reign on the earth. Now, how are you going to reign on the earth? Well, let me change the question since nobody wants to answer it. When would it be possible for you as a king and a priest to participate in ruling and reigning on planet Earth? These are quiet people. Somebody say it. It's a 1,000 year reign. Okay. You, you can't rationally say that what they're saying will happen. Not has happened. No. No, what he said in verse number 10, he said, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall Amen. reign, on, which means it's in the future yet. Right? The raptured church can't be after the thousand year reign because they said... We will reign. It hadn't happened yet. Listen, again, I don't have an agenda. I'm asking you, what do it say? It says, here we are, the church raptured around the throne of God. And there's coming a day when we will reign on the earth. But it ain't happened yet. That's right. Why has it happened yet? Because the tribulation has not occurred. That's right. Amen. Because he will not come to this earth and reign a thousand years until the seventh seal is opened, the seventh trumpet is blown, the seventh vial is poured out, and the seventh woe is given. He will not reign on this earth until all the tribulation is done. Amen. Does that make sense? Does it line up with the Word of God? Listen, what does it say? Verse number 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now that's angels. I ain't people he's talking about right there. That's angels. That's just angels. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and that are all... That, uh, and all that are the, in them heard I say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts and, and the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Amen. Well, if the elders represented here are the raptured church of Jesus Christ, which would represent every born-again believer that has died since the day of Pentecost. And all of those that died before that in faith that he was coming. That, that's who I'm talking about here. The, the four and twenty elders represent that enormous number of people. 
those that were in Abraham's bosom up until the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he went into the heart of earth and set captivity captive, they came out of there. And ever since then, to be absent from the body is present. We are present with the Lord. My soul is present with the Lord. When I, when I die, when my body gives up, my soul immediately goes to God, but it don't have a body. Right? That's what First Thessalonians teaches us. Is that the rapture is to get my body and transform it, glorify it, and it's going to go back and it's going to meet my soul. And then all those that are actually alive when he raptures, he's going to change you immediately. But the first thing we'll do is to, the grave's going to give up the body. I don't care if it's ashes. He's going to give it up and he's going to change it because that soul needs a body because that soul will reign with a body. Right? That's why the rapture has to, has, to, has to occur because we need the body. Amen. All the souls that are in heaven today, they still need the body in order to rule a glorified body. Ain't that why Christ ascended? Because He wasn't fully ascended. And then He fully ascended. So He is the first. The first fruits of them that slept is what the Apostle Paul would say. The first fruits of them that slept, they were waiting on Him to deliver them. He pulled them out of paradise, Abraham's bosom. And they were present with God that day. That's right. That's what, that's what he told the man on the cross. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. But the reason the man was going to paradise is because he hadn't been there to empty it yet. And not, not to get you off subject, but that's the thing that kills me when people say they found the tomb of Christ, of Jesus. They say they found his bones. No. He's in it. He's gone. No. And then we in like manner will... That's right. And the only thing Jesus left behind was the grave clothes. Sorry, I don't know why I say that. Thank you for saying it. And he and he folded the napkin just to make sure they knew he wasn't coming back. <laughs> he done with that tomb. Here's all the stuff I borrowed. Amen. All right. So it's important now as we launch into the future. Because what's going to take place now is that the lamb, that as it had been slain, he's go, he takes the scroll from the Father, the Almighty, right? At that point, right? Up to that point, God is holding what I believe is the title deed of the earth. He's holding it all in His hands, the scroll. And in that scroll is the future of mankind. And exactly how it will come to pass, right? That's what Revelations is all about. In that scroll is what he's fixing to do throughout the rest of the chapters of the book of Revelation. And Jesus steps forth to take the scroll, and he takes it. He takes it from the Father, he receives it from the Father, and he has the power to open it. And that brings us to chapter number 6. All right, anybody have any questions? Look, this is important, right? Because again, I, I'm asking you because I don't, I can't see anything else. I, when you read it, I can't see it being any other way than what is clearly pinned for us. Well, let me put it this way: to hold a different viewpoint based on what is written would require a great deal of speculation. Amen. 
And as opposed to speculating or, or believing in speculation, I'd just rather believe in revelation. What does it say? And let's take it literal. What does it say? Well, that's what it says, and that's what it means. And clearly, I hope clearly, I've shown you what it says and who these elders are and why it's clear that they are the raptured church. I hope, and I've honestly asked, nobody's raised their hand and said, well, it could be this. Nobody has another thought. Because I, I want to know the truth. That's my heart. I want to know the truth. Because I can tell you, I've had different opinions about revelations for, but they're just that. Opinions, for me, get put, put to the back as soon as the word becomes clear. And if it says what it says and we believe what it says, then surely it means what it says. First chapter number six. All right, we've got to move on then. Chapter number six. Hey, real quick, can you touch on the 24 churches or the 24 elders? In what way? What was that that verse? Can you go back to Chronicles and the 24 sons of Aaron? Is there a number inside that 24 or am I misunderstanding? Well, to be be clear, it's a number no man can number, right? But the 24 are representatives. Just as what was established in Chronicles from the tribe of, of, of was it Aaron? Yeah. Aaron was the royal priesthood. And what, what chapter 1 says and what chapter 5 verse 10 says is that we have been made priests and kings and are set to rule upon the earth. So the link to Chronicles and the connection between the Old Testament passage and who these elders are that were divided into 24 is directly a prophetic inference that these 24 elders are priests. And we will, according to the scripture, be priests and kings and shall reign upon the earth. Now, we haven't got to the thousand year reign. I can tell you there's tons of questions in the thousand year reign. But I can tell you we will be on the earth during that thousand years. And what we will be doing is ruling as kings and priests. Now, how we're going to look, how we're going to be, I don't know. i got some speculation about that, but I want to be clear when I speculate and be clear when the Word says something. Is there a significance to the four, to the four and twenty seats? Or the, is there a significance in that? Only that each elder had a seat, which means everyone will reign and rule as a priest or king. On the earth. That, that's the significance I take from it, is that there wasn't 23 seats and 24 elders. Every, every born again believer has a seat. 4 and 20. 4 and 20. 24. Thank you. Yeah. Maybe I was on one of Yeah, 24. And what was the scripture for Chronicles? All right, any other questions? 
Jesus takes the scroll from God. Now, the Bible does not tell us what the scroll actually fully represents. We know by what is opened what's in it, right? We know that as the seals are opened, there are things begin to happen. And these are the judgments of God that are brought to the earth. Now, God's fixing to judge the earth. He's pulled his bride out. The church is raptured. And at that moment, right, at the moment of the rapture, there remains no saved person on the earth. That's fixing to change. Okay? And so we want you to see the scripture there. What does it say? All right, chapter number six. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. I read one commentator that said that actual that actual come and see reference actually means go exclamation point. Go. So I'm just going to read it. Come and see. Go. He opens the first seal. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. That's seal number one. As soon as he opens the first seal, what we get a picture of is one of four horses that will go to the earth. They will go and perform exactly what they were meant to. The first seal is a white horse and it has on it a conqueror who has a bow but he has no arrows. A conqueror. Now, a lot of people I think are confused about who that is. Most are not. But if it was Christ, number one, why he can't come to earth yet. That's right. Amen. We know exactly when Christ will touch foot on the earth, and that will not be until the thousand-year reign. Right? How do you know? Because we have prophetic scripture in the Old Testament and the New. Luke 17, Matthew 24, 25, right? uh, Mark 13. All those are, are scriptures that tell us exactly that the second coming of Jesus Christ will be when he takes rule of this earth for 1,000 years. We know that. So what we also know by verse number one, verse number two, is that whoever's on this white horse, it ain't him. That's right. Amen. But it looks like him. And if you look when Jesus comes back to rule, he's on a white horse. And he dressed in white. I promise you, his bow had got arrows. So who is it? If it's not the Antichrist, he is certainly a servant of Antichrist because Antichrist means two things. Number one, it means against. Anti means against. But the other thing that anti means is instead of. The person coming on this white horse is the deceiver. Amen. The first seal that opens the first day of the seven years of tribulation. Again, we know by Daniel's prophecy, Jeremiah's prophecy, Ezekiel's prophecy, Joel's prophecy, Amos's prophecy, that the period of tribulation is seven years. There's no question about that with anyone. It's a seven-year period. 42 months plus 42 months, or 1,260 days plus 1,260. I don't care how you look at it. It equals seven years. Let me be clear. If we're in the tribulation right now, somebody start the clock because I know when it's going to end. That's right. Amen. Right? Right? Yes, 
If the tribulation period is specified by God to be seven years, and if we're in it now, somebody tell me when it started because I'm going to get the calendar and I'm fixing to tell you when it's all going to be done. Amen. Why? Because it's what he said, people. What he said. You can't make that work. You can't tell me we're in the Great Tribulation right now. That's right. Listen, we ain't got time to go through all the Old Testament and New Testament prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ. But let me tell you something. All you've got to do is study those, and you'll see very quickly that when the Lord said, hey, because they asked him clearly, they said, when shall the end be and what will be its coming? Matthew 24, 25. You know what he did? He told them. That's right. Amen. He told them. They want to know they're they're Jews. Right? And remember now, the Jews are looking for the second coming of Christ, not the rapture. Right? Remember? We we covered that night number one. Old Testament prophecy is referring to the second coming of Christ, which is his thousand year reign. When he will come back and sit on the throne of David. Amen. Right? That's what the Old Testament said. He's coming back. But the Old Testament never mentions a rapture. No, that comes in the new. Because the rapture doesn't involve the Jew. The rapture is the every people and tongue and nation and, and kindred. That's the Gentile. Rapture involves the Gentile. Now, are they Jews? Yeah, they get saved too. But that's who's going up. And then seven years. And then Jesus comes back to the earth. So we know that this cat on this white horse, it's not Jesus. It's an imposter. It is the Antichrist as far as I'm concerned. It is a against Christ instead of Christ person that is riding that horse. And his bow don't have any arrows. Which... I believe means that he intends for there to be peace, right? That's going to be his platform as he runs for office is peace. Peace. What this world needs is peace. And I can promise you I can bring peace. The first seal is the first horse. These are the four horses of the apocalypse, if you've ever heard it put that way. These are the four horses of the apocalypse, the first four seals that Jesus will open. Horse number one, two, three, four. Those are the four horses of the apocalypse. Verse number three is seal number two. Let me read it. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see, go. And there went out another horse that was red, fiery red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Right? Remember the first horse, and I believe the Antichrist, he's going to cry, peace, peace, and they're going to vote for him like crazy. Right? Finally, somebody bring peace to this mad world. And just as soon as there's peace, the next seal opened is war. And he was given to him that sat there on to take peace from the earth and they and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So we start the tribulation with peace and quickly there is what I believe is a world war, right? I'm not talking about 
You, you can look at World War One and World War Two. Those were not world wars. Those were allies and, and, and enemies, and they fought, and, and one of them won. I'm talking about every nation in the world would be involved in this one. A world war. Now, you say, why didn't you say World War III? Because I have no idea. It might be six. I don't know when he's coming back. There may be three more world wars before the tribulation begins. I don't know that. But let's just say the rapture of the church occurred today. World War III will start soon. right? Because the Antichrist is coming. And seal number two will take the peace he promised and it will throw this world into a war. Deadly, fiery red horse. A war like has never been seen before a war. Seal number three. And when he had opened the third seal, verse number five, I heard the beast say, come and see, go. And I beheld below a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The black horse, black being a reference of mourning and also black being a reference of famine. After every world war and for certain this world war because it will involve every nation of this world, there will be a worldwide famine. And you know what famine brings? Look at horse number four. Horse number four. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see, go. And I looked, and behold, the pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death and hell, followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with beasts of the earth. I believe with the pale horse comes a pestilence on top of the famine worldwide. Um, if you want to look at this, go to Matthew 24. Sammy, turn to Matthew chapter number 24. Hurry every chance you get. Matthew 24. And read verses 5 through 8. Now, again, we have started the tribulation, right? There's no question about that. The opening of the first seal is the introduction to what is referred to as the tribulation period. We will get to the great tribulation once we pass 42 months. But we're in the first half right now, and it's already bad. Matthew 24, verse number 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdoms against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrow. The beginning. We are in the beginning of the tribulation, and Jesus said, hey, hey, these are the beginning of sorrows. And he named them. Did he not name them? He named them. Named what? Named the second, third, and fourth seal. When did he name it? Matthew 24. 
And what was he talking about? He was talk- they had asked him the question, when will your second coming be? And he said, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. He said, but when you hear the rumors of wars and pestilences and famines and earthquakes and all this stuff, he said, Mm-mm, it ain't here yet. Hang on. There ain't more to come. That's the beginning. That's what he told them. Don't that line up what we're reading? He told them, this is the beginning of sorrows. The first 42 months of the tribulation is called the beginning of sorrows. The second 42 months of the tribulation is called the great tribulation or the time of Jacob's trouble. You can find all that in the Old Testament. There's no question about it, people. That is the tribulation. And if we understand what happened in chapter number 4 and chapter number 5, the church is not on the earth. Amen. Amen. Where are they? They're where he said they'd be. Raptured and in heaven. They're not on the earth. So it has begun. The sorrows have begun. Verse number 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they beheld. Now, the fourth, I mean the fifth seal is actually not a, a torment that comes upon the earth, but it represents those that have already died. So, and it's speaking directly. Let's listen to what it says about them. Now, now remember, remember, when, when the church exits, the Lord Jesus will take every single saved person with Him. The only people that will be on the earth at the, at the moment of the rapture will be unsaved. Amen. Right? He ain't going to miss nobody. He will not miss anybody. The only people that will be on the earth at the beginning of the beginning of sorrows, the, the tribulation period, are unsaved people. All right? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. Listen to what he said, verse number 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. What's he saying? How they got white robes on? How they underneath the altar and able to cry unto God and Him listen? And say, how long, O Lord, they called Him. How long, O Lord, will Thou not avenge our blood? Who's the avenging? The Antichrist. Who took their lives? The Antichrist. Who are these? Wait. 
I wish I got saved. I was being facetious. Yes! So, so martyrs from heaven? Well, like people that were martyred while they were on earth. and they Before the tribulation yes, or after? Yes, before the tribulation. So then they're the... Before the tribulation, when the tribulation occurs, he will get all saved. Yes, that's not what I'm saying. Oh. But I'm saying like people that have been martyred, you know. Right Why would now, they be martyred? Well, I'm saying like before the tribulation starts. Then that means they were saved. Right? Because the rapture occurs before the tribulation starts. And the rapture will get all saved. All martyred. All born again. All believers in Jesus Christ go at the rapture. The beginning of the tribulation, there will be zero saved people on the earth. Exactly right. That's what I was trying to say. Like, I wasn't piecing together how you can substantiate the fact that it's not just martyred souls that had been at one point saved and, yep. you know, back in heaven. And it's just them crying out for the fact that they had to be martyred for Christ. But I think because of the word souls, it is in reference to the fact that these are people that were saved during the time period that they have not had their body and soul matched together. And that's how you study scripture, people. Right? That's how you study scripture. Now, I'm going to help you with that because there is more substantiation to that story. We just haven't read it yet. But I want to read it because you brought up the question that a lot of people have. Go to chapter 7, verse number 9. All right? We'll we'll get this now. We'll skip it when we get there, right? Chapter 7, verse number 9. Valerie brought up the perfect question, right? Because this is where people get tripped up, right? How do you know for sure who those people are? Let's find out. Chapter 7, verse number 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Now you say, wait, that could be the church. No, we don't seen the church. We don't seen them. They're referred specifically to as the elders. Well, maybe they got a new name. No, read on. And cried, these people cried with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders. See the difference? There's a distinction here. Clearly we see the elders, we see the angels, and now we see a number which no man can number. And these people are squalling about being saved. Salvation to our God. Who are they? Well, 
They were saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders, who's the elders? The church. One of the church answered saying unto me, unto John, and they asked him a question said, What are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they? That was the same question you just asked. Same question you just asked. And you know what he answered? John didn't know. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, Let me tell you who they are. These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. Right? All of those were problems in the tribulation. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all their tears. It's a great question. It's a multitude. We have, and I'm going to cover this as we get to it, but we have references. I think I might have left the page. Anyway, we have references of those that are saved during the Great Tribulation. There's 144,000 Jews. There's a number of Gentiles that can't be numbered. There are those who refuse the mark of the beast. Those are those that refuse the false prophet. There are those that are beheaded for the name of Jesus Christ. There are Jews and Gentiles. And the word of God in the book of Revelations actually tells us when we get to the place that is about the Gentiles that are going to be saved, it actually gives us the scripture that says it's, it's an innumerable number out of every kindred and people and tongue and nation. I think this is fascinating. Absolutely. But what's fascinating to me is that it says it. It, it says it. It says it. I don't have to speculate about it. It said it. And, and, and if maybe I didn't understand what I just read in, in chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. But in verse 9 it said, And after this I beheld and lo, a great multitude. I believe these are Gentiles. Right? This particular passage is Gentiles. We will read about multiple numbers of Jews that get saved. But what fascinates me, right, I always knew that the tribulation is for the Jews, right? It is to bring judgment on wicked mankind, but ultimately God's purpose, and we have that prophetically through the Old Testament and the New, we have God saying all along, I'm going to graft them back in, right? I, I'm, right? Ezekiel went, dry bones get up, I'm going to graft them back in, right? We got that, right? All of us knew that was coming. He's going to save some Jews during the tribulation. The part I never picked up on 
That's my fault. I didn't study it clear enough, but the part I never picked up on was how many Gentiles are going to get saved. Mine says here uh, in my down here on the X thing that 144,000 means the seal before the tribulation judgment begins. And then it says up here that it was the, the Israelites. The 144,000 were Israelites. They were Jewish. This ain't them. Verse number 9. Verse number 9 clearly says, And this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. And here's who they are. They ain't Jews. They're of all nations. Huh? Who's that? They ain't but two people, friend. Jew or Gentile. They ain't but two kinds when it comes to God. It's Jew or Gentile. We got that through all of Scripture. If they're a Jew, he calls them a Jew. You know they're a Jew. He says they're an Israelite, they're a Jew. But what's he say about these people? He says specifically and clearly, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds. They ain't just Jews. I don't think any of these are Jews. They're of all nations, all kindreds, and people and tongues, right? Every language you can imagine. Every one of them stood before the throne of God, crying salvation to our God. Saved. Amen. Saved. Say, preacher, it's that easy. I just think I'll wait around until the rapture comes and then I'll know the tribulation started and I'll just call on the Lord then. You got one problem. Well, you got more than one, if that's your philosophy. But you got one problem that I know of right now. You don't know that you'll live one more second. That's right. Amen. Amen. That's right. right. That's your first and most serious problem, is you're assuming you're going to see tomorrow's sunlight. And you don't have that promise. That, I can guarantee you. You can die in the night and be in hell before morning. That's right. Amen. Right. So that's your first problem. If you think you'll get saved... Number two, I'm still looking for scripture, but I got a feeling that First Thessalonians chapter number two, verse number ten, is what helps us with this. But I got a feeling that if in your heart you have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and you have turned Him away, that when you wake up after the tribulation, I don't know that your heart will be any different toward Christ than it was yesterday. Amen. Amen. No, because that first first horse said, "Receive." Peace. Yeah. Yeah. That was your deceiver right there. That's going to What 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 said was is that God was going to send a strong delusion. Amen. And that they would believe a lie and be damned. That's what he said would happen. That's right. All right. So I believe the rejectors of Jesus Christ are going to believe the lie and they're going to be damned. Amen. Now, let me give you a scenario. All right. We're out of time, so we've got to finish right here. Let me give you a scenario. Um, let's just say Melissa's youngest son, how old is he? 11? 11 years old, and let's just say he wasn't saved. Okay? He'd not reached the age of accountability yet. What happens to that person? What happens at the rapture for those that. What happens to the babies? I got a feeling that if that if he if the Lord takes the 
baby they abort, he'd probably take the little ones walking around. Amen. There'd be a bunch of mamas crying, wouldn't they? The baby's gone. But what about that person that, that's your age and God hadn't spoke to? I don't know. I don't know. What, what if they're at that point that they've not rejected but they don't understand the gospel? Let me say it this way. At the point of the rapture, it is clear by the word of God what it says that there are going to be people getting saved immediately. Amen. Now, i got to believe that a bunch of them that have rejected Christ are going to stay on the rejection bandwagon. Amen. Amen. If they wouldn't serve him when it was easy, what makes you think they're going to serve him when it's hard? Because make no mistake about it, Tribulation believers die, beheaded, starved to death, tortured. That's what's happening to the people that are saved during the tribulation. That's why their souls are under the altar saying, How long, O oh God, will you not avenge our blood? Because if you get saved during the tribulation, you're going to die. For the most part, you're going to die for the name of Jesus Christ. You will die. Now, I don't want, I don't want to be in that part, right? I'd rather serve him while it's easy. Now, again, there's the church of Smyrna's out there that it ain't easy for them today. Right? You ask the Chinese people or the Pakistani people that believe in Jesus Christ, it's hard. And they getting their heads cut off, right? That church still exists today. I don't want to make light of it, but I'll tell you this much. The Great Tribulation is unlike anything that's ever been on the face of the earth. There'll never be anything as worse or bad as this. But it seems clear, right? Or, tell me if I've misread the Scripture. Now, we just want to know, what does it say? And it seems clear. Amen. One right? thing that helped me understand the saving after the rapture during the tribulation was when you defined the type of spirit that would be here. It's the spirit that was in the whole, the Old Testament, just like that. How were they considered people of God because of their faith? Their faith. Yeah. That's right. Their trust. That's all they're going to have. That's it. And you've got to do that on your own. They're faith. You don't have the Holy Spirit to help you do that. To what extent the Holy Spirit assists us, it don't say, right? And I assume there's some, some assistance. But he's not going to save you from death, right? Because he's made it clear. The great tribulation, it will cost you everything to be a believer. It'll cost you everything. He's been clear about that. This is the judgment of God upon the world. And as is the character of God, He's always trying to save. Right? I, I, I don't. I can't help it if you don't like it. All right. I, if you want everybody in the tribulation to die and go to hell, right? That, that's your your prerogative. You can want that, but I, that's not the character of God. That's right. That's right. Amen. His character is to offer salvation. Now, you say, okay, maybe some folks are going to get saved, but. 
it don't seem right to me or that God really... Well, what are the 144,000 for? We'll find that out tomorrow. What are they for? Well, I'm just going to tell you what they're for. They're preachers. <laughs> you know what they're preaching? According to the Word of God, the Bible said they're preaching the gospel. Why are they preaching, Greg? If so they can be saved. So some can be saved. That's right. Yeah. Why, would, why else would they preach? Why would he even have 144,000 if he didn't intend to save why would he have 144,000 preachers that are sealed, by the way, and the devil can't even kill them? As a matter of fact, when it gets the worst of its worst of its worst in the Great Tribulation, and every force of hell is after these 144,000, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24, and he said, unless the days were shortened, he said, none would be saved. He said, but the days will be shortened. You know what's going to happen? The Lord's coming back. Right before the devil can get to them 144,000. The final, when it seems like all hope's lost, here comes Jesus on a white horse. And Amen. And then he had two witnesses, right? We haven't got to them yet, but we'll get to them next. The two witnesses, right? I, I can speculate tomorrow about who those two witnesses are, but you know what they're doing? They're preaching. Why are they preaching? Why do you preach? And at the mid part of the tribulation, the Lord allows both of them to be killed and they lay in the streets for three days and then they're resurrected right before the eyes of every person on earth. They're watching it from the side. Everybody can see it on their YouTube. Amen. And two witnesses stand up, and the Lord says, Come up here. And they just sing back. Why were they here? They were preaching. Why do you preach? According to the Apostle Paul, Romans 8, you preach, or Romans 10, you preach so that they'll believe, so they'll hear. And if they hear, they can believe. Because they can't hear it without a preacher. So whether this fits in what I used to believe, it don't fit anymore because the Scripture seems clear. It says what it says, and I can't make it say something else. There's people that are saved. It's clear they're saved. It tells who they are. That's wonderful, ain't it? That's wonderful. So you say, well, I'm just not going to believe it that way. That's fine. Right? We don't have to divide. Uh, right, serious. This ain't something for brethren to divide over. Because I can tell you what's going to happen just exactly what he wants to happen. Whether you like it, don't like it, believe it, don't believe it, and don't make no difference, it's going to happen just like he wants it to happen. So really, I don't have an agenda. So if you want to believe the way, go ahead. I'd just like for you to tell me. Right? I've been asking you. I want you to tell me how you get yours. Amen. Because when I read it, it, it seems clear. But maybe I don't maybe I don't get it. Maybe I'm missing something. But it seems clear. So I, I, I just want to know what it says and what it means. What does it mean to me? And so that's the reason we study the scripture. I know what he says, and then let's believe that. 
until, you know, somebody brings me something else and says, no, no, here, I'd be glad to believe something different. If you got some Bible for it, Amen. it'd be great. If you got some Bible for it, then that, has, that changes everything. All right. It's uh, past our closing time. Real so, fast comment, eighth verse. If 25% of mankind is killed to death, mm-hmm. which will be millions and millions. 1.5 billion. Will the funeral homes be able to keep up? No. <laughs> No. By the way, there ain't enough graveyards, funeral homes, morgues. Amen. No. And also, this is not near all of them. <laughs> we just started. We're in the beginning of sorrows, and 1.5 billion people are dead. Can you imagine the stench? Because they ain't going to be able to bury them. Not all of them. It's going to get. And we just started. No, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And I think the word of God is clear where we're going to be. So so I'm going to go back as as we dismiss. I'm going to go back and, and tell you what he told us in chapter number 1 and chapter number 22. All right? Don't miss this. In chapter number 1 and chapter number 22, the Holy Spirit of God said to John, he said, write these things. Blessed are they that read this book. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, Greg. Be honest. I will. If we read in this book that you're going to go through the tribulation, does that bless you? I would rather go whenever I can, I can be took up the rest. I know that was a very small thing. Right. And I, maybe I'm nitpicking. But that don't bless me at all. Amen. That brings a fear and a dread upon my soul to think that I will have to go through the horrors and terrifying tortures of this time. That don't even sound like God. That's right. And he starts the book and he said, Blessed is the man that reads this book. Blessed. And he would close it the same way. This book is meant for the church as a blessing and the world as a warning. And if we interpret differently, I don't see that blessing really coming through. I ain't got it yet. But the way I read it, it is a blessing to me. It is a comfort to my soul I can lay my head on the pillow and absolutely 100% know for sure it's going to be all right. Amen. Amen. And I believe Revelation gives us that comfort. If, if we read it and take it for what it says. All right. We will try to get through the rest of the seals and then the trumpets and then the bowls and then then he comes back to earth and he reigns for a thousand years and I know you got questions about what's happening then. And all that's got to happen before eternity takes place. Before forever can begin, a thousand years has to end. So there's still a lot in the future that we can know. 
and it should be a blessing to us to know. Would you bow with us as we pray? Father, your word is what's important, and we confess our inabilities, how small and insignificant, how unlearned and downright ignorant we feel. But I earnestly pray that you would help me to know what it says. Please, help us simply to take the scripture and to believe it for what it says and to trust you for it. We desire nothing else. Our minds have have often thought other things, but Lord, your word must supersede our opinion, our thought, our raising, whatever it is. We need you to help us with this. This is precious, and I believe it true. We pray it be the blessing it's intended to be in every heart that's here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.